You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and I have uh, Charles Mulford, uh, artist, uh, sculptor, uh, and uh, reaching across uh, the U.S. from Oregon over to New Jersey. Uh, Welcome to the program, Charles. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, hey, I don't do this too often, Charles, but I'm going to read a bit from... um, uh, you know your bio and give folks a little bit of background because there's, there's a couple pieces I really like. Charles Mulford's sculptures explored complex emotions surrounding anxiety through the lens of humor. Cartoon figures, 3D modeled objects, and scans of human heads act as vehicles for theatrical narratives. Mired in tragic circumstances, the characters express their feelings about illness and death. Exaggerated scenes capture a sense of unease reflecting the stress and vulnerability of anxiety. The result is a visual representation of a torturous and sometimes humorous world. I noticed, Charles, when I was looking, um, before I had read any of the words about your stuff, um, there, there were words I heard in the description that was like kind of uh, 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 anxiety, these situations, trapped, uh, sly humor, um, comic book, uh, fantastical, all these words. Like, mm. I, I, and so it was really super to look at that and um, to really get the feel uh, of, of the world that I was looking at. I j- kind of jumped right in. But I know um, what I was looking at as far as the, the, the 3D sculptures um, uh, is, is, is newer in, in, in your development. And I was reading a bit about that. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about how, how you do that and pull that uh, together. Tell us, tell us about this. Sure. Work. Sure. The, the, uh, the 3d printing started during the pandemic and we had something like a toy 3d printer that was just kind of sitting around and not getting used. It was brand new. And we just, I just thought maybe, maybe it's time to take this printer out and see what it can do. And so, um, it was very small scale and I started just learning the process of 3d printing. And I was making these very simple flat figures. They were geometric in shape and you can take an image like a JPEG and you can import it into the printer and it'll make like a cookie. It'll make the elevation of it taller than the drawing. And I thought, boy, what could I do with all these little flat characters that I had created? And about the same time during the pandemic, all the galleries were closed down, but a number of them were having uh, mail art exhibits where you actually mail you, you know, you send your artwork through the mail to the gallery and then they have an exhibit and they were posting it online, all the images yeah. from the show. And so I thought, boy, this could be a good match where the figures would fit into an envelope. So I took just your standard envelope and cut out a window and made it like a picture frame. And I would place the little characters inside and 
use that envelope as the work itself. So that's how they would exhibit it in the show. And that really started to take off where I was doing um, a pretty good amount of mail art and uh, having success with it and really enjoying it. And as I made more pieces, I started to learn more about 3D printing. And I realized, boy, I really have to move on from this tiny little printer that only makes uh, pieces that are like four by four inches to um, something a little bit more upscale and professional. So I eventually went and and bought a decent 3D printer and try and started to explore what I could do with this as a sculptor. And it, and I was also working with uh, 3D modeling. So there were just a number of modeling programs where, uh, you know, it's a very long process to learn how to draw three-dimensionally with uh, 3D modeling and you can get very in-depth with it. So, I mean, I started that journey and I also started to scan um, my own uh, 3D objects with my phone, and I was bringing these things all together and and trying to make sculpture out of them and see uh, what I could do with it. You know, it was quite a journey. Yeah, thanks for thanks for digging in, uh, digging in there and and and, and uh, talking about the development. And and, and it, I really enjoyed hearing that uh, distinct piece about sending the art in and just that in, in the time of trying to get your art uh, out there. Of course, I did a yeah. lot of interviews during the pandemic and such, but I hadn't heard about that particular uh, piece. So it's great. It was really great to hear. Uh, Charles, so uh, for you, talking about in general with uh, being an artist, um, was there a point in your life? I talked to a lot of people uh, was there a point in, in, in your life where you're like, there was that click and and you were an artist or what, what was that? Yeah, there was, I mean, it really started out with my father and, uh, he was an engineer and he was a guy who had this kind of do it yourself attitude where he was always building and repairing things. And, you know, he taught me a lot of that. He taught me how to use power tools. And we had a basement workshop and we were always doing repairs together. And it was a great environment to really raise a sculptor because I can remember going down to the basement and looking at all the tools in the workshop on the wall and you know, the supply of scrap metal and thinking, what, what could I make? You know, what can I do with, with these tools and these materials? And at that young age, I really didn't know what to do. But there were two, there were two times that I remember um, before I was really a sculptor that I look back and I'm like, boy, you were making sculpture at a pretty young age. And uh, the one of them was I built in grammar school, I built a robot and it was pretty much like a six foot tall stick figure. And um, in the house behind ours where uh, we had, there was a, our neighbor had a barn and next to the barn was a scrap pile of plywood. And it was just cast off stuff, all these rectangles. And I can remember going back there and just collecting 
all of this wood, bringing it into my backyard. I ran into the basement and I got a can of nails and a hammer and I just went to town on it. I started yeah. nailing this thing together and I knew right away, I'm like, yeah, this this thing could really be a quite sizable robot and let's see what we can do. And so um, I got it to stand up. I propped it against a tree. I nailed in a smiley face, little mouth of nails and some nail eyes on it. And it was really like one of the first times that I got real satisfaction out of building anything that I had done completely on my own. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is quite, quite an accomplishment. And so, um, yeah, that was like created just it, an, drummed it up into existence. Yeah. That was really like an early, an early memory where I just had the joy of building something. Let me, let me ask you, uh, let me ask you this question. So, um, I I I don't know uh, for myself whether I've sculpted something or deliberately sculpted something. Um, I'm an art appreciator. I I'm, I'm fascinated, particularly by what I don't understand and don't know. Um, that I don't. It's not like I don't have any contact with sculpture, but in the doing, can you tell me uh, just as like a, a simple with you as a teacher, a simple basic type of thing of you take somebody like me who hasn't uh, done a sculpture. What's a like a really basic activity to have your mind move uh, in that type of way? Yeah, I mean, I would rec as a teacher. I mean, yeah. I've been a teacher for a very long time. I would recommend to my students to look at other art and find some other art that they really love, and then not quite copy it but get some inspiration to try something similar. And then the next step after that, after you've tried that a few times, you might want to think of, is there a material or a medium that you're really attracted to? Um, or is there some kind of idea that you really feel compelled to, to share? Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as the material, one of the things I think uh, is even with the tactile, what maybe what you like to feel in your hands or, you know, use. So I, I, I appreciate that because for me, it's that elementary, the question that I that I wanted to ask. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's some people who are just attracted to different mediums, whether it's some ceramics or working in wood or for me, it started out with um photography that's how that was the the first thing i tried in college and then it led to uh, working in steel and welding and casting metal so you know it can be uh it can be a a long path to find out what your your true interest is in the arts. You've got to try everything. You've got to see yeah. what what works for you. One of the things that I found, I had interviewed a sculptor, uh, Christopher St. John, and uh, for me, it was, all seemed fantastical and new, but there was this 
really a strong connection to um, kind of like emergent animalistic energy uh, in in the ceramics where maybe I'd exposed a lot more to, you know, more forms or steel, that type of thing. This was right. like, it, it could just kind of transform my thinking of what it is and how these objects had like a life unto themselves. These animals had a life unto themselves, right, like right. really kind of dropped into it. Yeah. Um, Charles, uh, one of the big questions, um, what is art? What, what, what is, what is art? Uh, yeah, sounds- this, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this and I, I'm, I'm going to come at this from a personal point of view. You know, for me, what, what art is, it's really, especially in the last couple of years, it's just a, a form of communication. So with the 3D printed work, I, I really had ideas that I wanted to express visually that I just didn't think I could with words. It was just something that I couldn't speak about and I didn't feel comfortable um, sharing you know, verbally, but I could get those same ideas out through the figurative sculpture. And I really wanted to... Uh, tell a story. I wanted to have a scene and some type of narrative. And I wanted to make a connection with the viewer and in a way to say like, you know, have you ever felt like this or can you relate to this idea in any way? And I've had a uh, some interesting feedback where some other artists have said, even the simplest thing were looking at one of the pieces and said like, you know, I've, I've felt like that too. You know, I've been in that situation or I've had uh, those same feelings. And so that was, uh, you know, that felt really good. There was a, and I want to talk about this just to get really into this, into the specifics of your work. That was the piece when I was looking, there was an absolute immediacy to the feeling to the feeling, uh, and, and it's, it wasn't what I saw that I was like super familiar with, like looking at the face or whether it was like the shape of the face or the, yeah. it wasn't like, I, like, I know that person or anything. It was capturing like, oh yeah, that's me stuck in the office and it's two and a half hours <laughs> and I can't, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that in art, when that, you know, I think of pa- painting, I'm very sensitive to painting. Sometimes painting has that where I'm like, ah, it's right. right there. That's it. That's exactly it. And that was the piece. What that was what in, in seeing your works was that immediacy to the feeling. I, I got it. And then I'll just enjoy it from that point on. Right. Right. Yeah. That reminds me of one of the earliest truly three dimensional sculptures I did was called Stuck in a Foot. And it's a scan of a person's actual foot a 3D scan of it. And then it's got a cartoon figure that's kind of stuck inside the heel of it. And um, this was a time where I was kind of collecting 3D scans of objects and I wasn't quite sure what to do with them. And I was also at the same time modeling these cartoon figures. And it really came together where I wanted to convey this feeling of entrapment. So I just 
literally took the figure and stuck him inside the um, foot like he's trapped there. And so that was a theme of some of the earlier pieces, combining um, scanned objects with the model figures. It's, it mentioned the word. I had seen the word in the description. I uh, comic book or you know that that yeah. And it, it not just 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 to finish. I'm a huge. I, I adore comic books, and I saw that in there immediately. But I thought about this last night. I, I couldn't quite get at why that word, why that sensibility. Um, why I felt that. Talk about that piece of it. What's in there? Yeah, sure. The, the comic books were a big thing for me when I was a teenager. And I think that's where all the cartoon figures come from. Um, I just had a, a true, I think it was some of my earliest art exposure was through comics, comic books as well. And so uh, that's, that's where I trace back the cartoon figures and also the idea that I wanted to tell a story. And so I thought these, these little cartoon guys would be well suited to tell all different types of stories, to create a, a complete world um, where they could, they could really express any ideas that I had at the moment, anything that I really wanted to get out. And, um, yeah, I always go back to that. The uh, the comic books were definitely, I think, the basis for a lot of that. A lot of the way I think about storytelling and 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 uh, figurative artworks. Yeah, and the, the, there's even the corporation of objects. I would see like uh, Pez and the type of um, yeah. um, you know medicine uh, prescription like just embedded in, in there as well. You know, what's the malady? What's the cure? Yeah. Yeah. The Pez, that's actually a very recent piece I did. Uh, it's called pill dispenser and it's a scan. That's an actual Pez dispenser. So it's a scan of the, uh, container of the candy and then the head, it's just got a human head stuffed on top of it. That was all modeled and the same thing with the pills. It's got a pill shoved in the um, mouth of the head, and it's got some extra pills on the side. So, yeah, I'm trying to have the pieces have a little punch to them to have a little impact. And it's um, worked out where I continue to combine um, these different scan things that I find around and then with uh, a lot of different modeling incorporated into that. And that there's the story right away. It's about somebody who it looks like they're almost made up of medicine. Like they're made, their whole body is just made up of pills and that's what's keeping them going. Yeah. Yeah. It's very concise. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very concise and that's one of the, it's, um, it's 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 a trapped world. It's it's a scene. I would even see uh, in some of those that when you mentioned photography and you know starting out with that too, right. because because some of these, particularly of a scene, I think maybe of a cell prison, it's a snapshot. It's a it's a picture in a particular way. So when you said that, I was like, oh, I was able to see the framing. Um, yeah, 
in, in, in what you do. Yeah, that's a very good point. I like that idea that you said it's a snapshot because it really is just trying to capture that moment. And um, I spent a long time doing photography. I went all through film photography and you know printing in black and white and color and having my own dark room. And this 3D printing, it really reminds me of photography in the sense that uh, you can do it at home. You can set up a space just like a dark room where you have your 3D printers and you can um, model the figures on a computer, even an iPad. And uh, it just has a similar feel to it. It really works in the same way. In looking at the, in, in, in looking at the, just a, a little bit more in the photo, and looking at the a photo, say there's a basis of a of what you're using uh, from a photo, and that connected three to the three D. The main thing I would think of right off the bat is the creation of worlds with three D. Like I would want to uh, see that, see that big, or see that in as a little piece or a totem in real life that comes from the uh, photography. Do you ever see that, like that type of connection to have that type of attraction to kind of have the photo come out <laughs> through the 3D? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I mean, the, the technology is getting to the point where you can actually pull things out of photographs, make them three dimensional and then um, make, uh, make them into 3D prints. The, um, Another aspect of the photography that is similar to 3D printing is the scanning is just like a three-dimensional photo. So that idea of grabbing and capturing objects, like you can take your uh, phone and just with an inexpensive app, you can scan a, a water bottle, a pair of glasses, anything that's in your environment, you can scan it. And you can incorporate it into um, a piece, you know, something that yeah. I'm, I'm working on. So that's, you know, to me, that was very similar to photography where I'm looking around for subject matter. And um, it's almost like one step further where you're, you're actually recreating um, the object that you're photographing. That's that, that's the... Yeah, this is a, a deep philosophical uh, attraction of how, you know, these things, you know, can come to be in that way. Uh, one more bit on photography uh, with, with your deep interest. I have a strong interest uh, uh, sure. in photography over time. Um, for you, uh, maybe this is the influence question. I mean, for, for you, the, the photographers that, that, that influ influence you that, that just stand out, these are the photographers. What Who are those folks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been many years since I've uh, done photography or looked at So it's at a good question then. It's a good yeah, question. Yeah, it's a good then, question. Maybe. You know, one of my very favorite photographers was um, Ralph Eugene Meatyard. I don't know if you know him. But... Stop right there. Stop right there. <laughs> that is the reason why I asked this question. I'm going to stop okay. you right there. We don't know each other. We're just interviewing right now. And the reason I asked that question was to see if uh, if you see Ralph Eugene and I've heard his name pronounced meat yard, but I've also said metrid and I don't know if it sounds, uh, pretentious, but that's who we're talking about. Tell me what you think. Right. 
So he was like a Southern Gothic photographer, and he used to take all these pictures in very dilapidated settings, whether it was in a house or in a yard. And uh, many times he would use his kids as the model uh, in the photo, and they would wear these masks. And he was interested in uh, the blurred image. So you'd have lots of masks that had blurred faces with them. And uh, yeah, he was real. He had created some really compelling work. And he was very inspirational to me when I first started and I was learning like uh, black and white photography. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, it's exciting. One of the things for me as a, as a thinker that I, I didn't know, but I found out much later was that uh, he was friends, very close friends with um, father Thomas Merton, oh. um, a Franciscan monk in a kind of like a, uh, do you know much about Merton, Thomas Merton? No, no. Well, to- just quickly for folks and everybody, uh, Thomas Merton was a, a Franciscan monk, a very atypical, idiosyncratic, think punk monk, oh. and 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 he um had uh was extremely deeply lived experience in in understanding of um Christianity and compassion. He also had a very deep understanding and practice of Buddhism and in particular Zen Buddhism. Um, and I, I can't do Thomas Merton justice, but it's been a very influential figure for me because being idiosyncratic, being spiritually seeking, but informed in different atypical ways, they were close friends and oh. they used to hang out over there in the hills of Kentucky. Yeah. And I've done, I got to read more about this. You know, I did some basics and learned about it, but if there's one relationship and one story, I would want to know all the details about because uh-huh. it just, it's just connecting two central figures in my thinking. It is their close friendship, uh, Metrid and, um, and Thomas Merton. So just, absolutely fascinating to me and it's an example that that would be his buddy it tells you thomas merton's you don't expect your local monk to be into that photography let's say right right yeah (laughs) yeah that's great we have that in common uh wonderful wonderful uh great great to be able to to chat about photography Uh, we're talking about art and um i think uh, not to repeat it, but uh, one of the questions I asked is 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 the role of art, and I heard the term communication uh, from you around that. Um, right. Do you, related to that question with the role of art? Do you think the role of art through you know human history has been the same, or do you think that uh, the situation now, however you may define it, has changed the role of art? Yeah, hmm. I'm not so sure about that. I think things are so up in the air right now and that you could actually do anything you really want. And I'm not sure how valuable criticism is, our criticism is at the moment. So I'm I'm not quite sure how I, I would approach that. You know, I, I can talk about this from 
a personal point of view. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like dig, what dig what in. the role of art is is for me. Yeah, dig and in. it really gave me a sense of purpose in life. I really wasn't sure what to do. You know, in your twenties, you're not quite sure what you're going to do with your life, and so um, I had a true love of art. And through teaching, I was able to share that. And there were just moments over the years where I thought you could see in someone's eyes when I was teaching them how to make a piece or work on a project where there's that moment where something just clicks and they get it and they, they, they do two things. They think, I can do this. This is something I can do. This is something I can do well. And it's a spark. You know, you can really see it. It opens them up to something new. Um, and I've also, I mean, I, I, I taught for 27 years, studio art classes and art history. And I know over the course of that time, I've had a positive, a positive influence on the lives of some some of my students and and there's a real satisfaction in that that you know just that I could share with them something I love and and kind of pass it on and so now that they also love it yeah I uh I I I love the power in that and I love that like that when you're talking about the moment too because that's really what you know philosophy and kind of like the program tries to get at is like how do you how do you explain how you explain the uh, the the moment or or, yeah. or 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 the feeling or you know what you're sensitive to you know for me in in, in general you know um paint a painting that that does that and like what is how am i crippled temporarily or why when i see a particular painting i take whatever the limits are of the gallery and i push myself up to the absolute limits to be able to see as close every single detail that's going on without being a creep, without, you know, right up sure. to the limits to like get in and, and, and see that. And uh, yeah, that's how you look at it, right? That's and, how and you, me, that's, that's how, you, how look you, at me too. that's how you look at it. That's how you see it. And, and uh, it's so funny because the behavior is automatic. And I, I wonder about the magic of the one that I see from across the gallery. I'm like, you and going yeah. right in and then doing it with that. I'm like, you know, in the background, the yeah. question is why exactly that one, but it doesn't matter. And it does. <laughs> yeah. The one that draws you in. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, g- g- uh, super talking about art and I wanted to take advantage of, uh, just kind of like in asking the question too, about, uh, art. One of the things that I've, uh, thought about for myself and, you know, I'm creating a, a art and philosophy podcast shows increasingly popular and have all these wonderful artists in, in this. But what I find amazing or, or different about my uh, history in relation to this is I, I've always had just a deep interest in art, but I never developed it in any particular way over time until I did and concentrated on it. So for me in the art experience or talking to folks or being in the scene or whatever's going on with art is all recent in my life. I'm uh, oh. 51 now. It's, it's really the last five years of being an active participant in, in actively creating and, and, and showing. And 
I uh, had I, I never took art history courses. My entire my entire knowledge is self studied and in, right. in conversation. So I found it really um, fascinating to kind of go into the river where I am right there and not have not have industry stuff, not have all these hangups about it and just to kind of jump, jump in. Um, when you're working with uh, students in, 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 who are coming in and in, in exploring art, how many, how many folks are really truly trying to find um, their place, their place in art? as as an artist like how many yeah yeah that's difficult to say i you know they're there whatever whatever the course whatever the studio course is if you think about um undergraduate students even if it's an elective that these students are there they're there for a reason they might not even know exactly why they took that course, but there was interest enough to be there in that seat. And I think it's important that they may discover something about themselves just through the journey of, of participating. Being in and, the right spot. Yeah. And that, so you say, well, from an outsider's point of view, I'm not, exactly sure what's going on in the student's mind over the course of a semester. But what I'm hoping for is that there is some some type of self-discovery and that they become more interested in the subject matter and uh, they become more familiar with art history. And it's also helpful that if you're familiar with whatever the materials are that that can also make you better at viewing art, right? Like if you do, if you work with clay a little and you know the process of, uh, of creating something in clay, then when you go to look in an exhibit and it has ceramics, you, you have a little more insight into, uh, into that type of artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I get, uh, I get excited about the process or thinking about the process. So I did have one pivotal class and um, many years ago when I was undergraduate at the University of Rhode Island uh, with Dr. Cheryl Foster is one of the most influential people my entire life. I didn't know why, but I popped into a philosophy art class because she was teaching it, honestly. And she said philosophy of, you know, rocks. I would have been there as well. And I'll tell you how I got into art in a deep way and knew I could just jump all the way in. The class started with three particular fascinating things. First of all, she started the class, first class, played the Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK, (laughs) and danced to it. Wow. That's great. Welcome to class. The next, when we got into film study, we wanted to go into deep study of very particular films and they were completely disconnected and it yeah. was silence of the lambs and Saturday night fever. Oh, and the, and there's the, what, so what's the connection? Well, the teacher, the, one of the things we studied with Saturday night fever was kind of like, um, what's high art at the time. 
massive tragedy disco story at the time. Mm-hmm. But removed outside of that, it's high camp. Uh, uh, it, like, right. like, like it's 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 intention in there. Disco, disco is life. Love, right. be doing what you want to do. Disco goes away and yeah. camp. And the other piece was we did Silence of the Lambs is kind of like a launching pad at the time. It was best movie of the year. It's fantastic. How does a horror movie win? Best Picture, Jonathan Demi. We go into a deep study of that. Right. And we just kind of um, was studying kind of like the idea of horror and just using something that was very contemporary and maybe anticipating the questions of the durability of, say, The Silence of the Lambs. And so uh, Sex Pistols, Saturday Night Fever, (laughs) and Silence of the Lambs by Jonathan Demi. And like, that's how it started. And then I knew... In art, I'm like, once that was my intro to like kind of formal, like high level education of doing right. philosophy of art, I'm like, oh shit, like it's all open. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that was your, mo- you had that moment, right? And uh, I had something similar. I could tell you a, a little story about it. Um, this was in undergraduate school at Rutgers University. And it was when I was um, moving from studying photography over to sculpture. And they had a very large um, metal shop. And they also had a foundry uh, for, for casting metal. And I had a professor there I worked with. His name was Melvin Edwards. And he was the best role model day-to-day on how to be an artist. And the days that he wasn't teaching his class, he would come in, pull his sculpture out of his car, go over to the metal shop, do a little welding on it, go over to the uh, forge, heat it up, bend some metal, incorporate that back into the piece. And we would sit and we'd work at the forge together and it was just a great example at that time how, how to be an artist like on a daily basis. For me, I had no idea what to do, and it was just something in the back of my mind. And I'm like, here, here is someone who's doing this, and he's just, show, he's just showing you how it's done. And it was, uh, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, that that transformative that moment and that's why that's why I love talking about this that's why it's great yeah. to talk about like because it's like that's where the jazz that's where the jazz yeah, is um, definitely all right uh, really tough question then an easier one really tough question why is there uh, something rather than nothing uh, Charles Mulford uh, yeah yeah this is uh something I I really thought about. And then if you take it from the point of view of an artist that um, it made me think of graduate school and the first, I guess it was like the first week of graduate school, we were assigned studio spaces and they're like these uh, little rooms. They're completely empty, all white walls, there's just nothing there. You'd get a folding table and chairs. You'd sit in there 
and you have to figure out what to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to make? And you really do start from nothing. And so for me, I, I thought, you know, you've got to create your own world and you have to try something before you get stuck, right? Before you can't, you're frozen. You've got to try something at all. And so for me, it always came from the materials and I started experimenting with materials. I try to improvise. Um, I was always someone who I would try to take advantage of mistakes or or anything that would come along, I would say maybe maybe this is an avenue that I can work. So the process of 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 being an artist really goes from you've got to figure out what you're gonna do, and for some people that may be a little bit easier because they can um, latch onto a medium that that has a familiar course. But for me as a sculptor, I was just always thinking, I'll go back to the material and I'll start from there and we'll see what can I do with this. And whether it was working uh, with rubber and sewing or um, welding metal, that was always a taking, a starting, a jumping off point into an idea. And the idea would come after the material. And it was the same thing with the 3D printing. You know, it was, uh, the ideas came later. It was a bit of how does this technology work? How can I use this printer and this 3D modeling? And what can I do with it? And once I realized the potential of it, then the ideas started to flow and I started to, uh, to get into it a little bit deeper. So, yeah, I think that's really the process of being an artist that you, you start, you start, whether it's with the, the blank page or an empty room, and then you have to figure out for yourself what you're going to do. I really like, I really like your uh, description and, you know, I mean, maybe like that and that the insurance of like, the whole journey, not in a cliche sense, but a whole like uh, discovering. Um, uh, one more particular question to that too. Um, in, in those points within that, right? Um, it can be difficult work, soul searching work. What do you do when? Um, what do you do when you feel like too frustrated in, in, in that? What do folks do? What, have, what do you, What do you do? What do you yeah, teach people to I... do? <laughs> My advice would be to take a break and there's always, for me, there's a point where you go for new input, right? So you go for other inspiration and whether that's looking at, at doing art or going for a bicycle ride, it's just some doing something else, some other activities and then coming back to it. Um, when you know sometimes when you're in the studio it's just you just can sit there and you know daydreaming stare out the window and yep. you wait for some you wait for something to come with to come to you and if it doesn't come to you then you just start working anyway yeah, yeah. and through the process of working you're hopeful that you'll come up with something new yeah. and so that's that's the way i go about it yeah, I um, 
I, I, I appreciate that too. And there's somewhere around this question that we're, we're talking about that I've tried to, uh, personally, I've tried to think of the Tao of the situation of what's going on there and, 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 in in that the obstruction obstacle to go through and you're in a new better land or not. And, you know, it's like to keep being like, well, if I didn't do these things, then that road would have never been there. So it's still, it's tough though. And it's tough and it's, uh, frustrating. Uh, uh, Charles, um, I want folks to, uh, you know, obviously, see your work and uh, it's been great to talk about it. folks does the things i'm describing in my reaction to you see the uh, see it in person which i haven't done but see images of but charles where do uh, listeners go to you know get into contact with the uh, you know your work sure well my website is charlesmulford.com and uh, that last name spelled m-u-l-f-o-r-d and then i'm on instagram as well that's just charles mulford and I currently have a show at uh, Five Points Art Center, which is in Connecticut. And you can get all the details about the show on my website. Good, 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 good on that. Good for you. I saw, I, I did notice uh, in some of the places where your work was listed as a place I live right next to, um, was it over there in Attleboro, Massachusetts. And I lived mm-hmm. uh just a few minutes down the road across the border in Rhode Island oh. at that time. So it was, it was, it was really kind of cool to see that and be like, Oh, that's cool. And, uh, very glad to represent, uh, Rutgers or Rutgers and, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it depends, you know, wherever you are. And, yeah. uh, in, 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 uh, getting, reaching you over there in, uh, Jersey from the, the, the woods of Oregon. Um, I gotta, t- I gotta tell you, Charles. I, I mean, I, I reach out to you and 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 check in with you. It's great to, it's great to have this conversation to be able to allow me, like myself, in, in conversation to think, you know, more deeply about this. We will do research uh, and follow up. I gotta put something in the show notes about Ralph okay. Eugene Meachard. Uh, uh, yeah, Ralph, yeah. Ralph Eugene Meachard will both admit that our lack of dispositive knowledge on this, but also, <laughs> but also I'm going to investigate or see what might be available to listeners. I mean, it's something I'm fascinated about of how these two guys were so close and sure. the, comb- the combination of elements is just so glorious to think about how, uh, there was within that. And, um, uh, with Ralph Eugene, um, the famous work, uh, I believe is the family album of Lucy Bell Crater. Right. Um, right. And, and there's some, um, I've have a small collection of different type of, um, they're not the easiest to find, but you can find them, uh-huh. uh, collections and volumes and reprintings that have been done, uh, of that great work, but definitely, uh <laughs> drop yeah. into drop into some of that and um so uh great to chat with you and um uh, really hope to keep in touch and uh in particular for me to be able to see uh uh at some point your work in person and to get yeah as as close as i'm allowed to it <laughs> sure well it's been great to meet you and talk with you i had a great time and i hope we can do it again sometime absolutely charles All right. This is something rather than nothing.
The proper pronunciation for the famous Kentucky photographer discussed in this episode is Ralph Eugene Meachyard. <laughs>